Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and in this episode, Acts 16 through 21, we are looking at what we know about God, maybe what we don't know about Him, and how we come to that knowledge. But before we start, we just wanted to say thank you to many of you for the reviews and the messages that you added um, just last week after we talked about that. And we wanted to actually read one of our latest reviews, and this comes from North Carolina Mama. She says, I adore this podcast so much. Thank you so much to the hosts, Zach and Krista, for all the hard work that allows a listener like me to gain further insight into my own Bible studies and classes that I teach. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That just It's just fun to hear. Anyway, we just love getting messages and hearing your feedback. Um, it just helps us keep going and know that people are out there actually listening. Um, and one of the things that we love most of all is when we hear things like this, um, that make us realize that that what we say in the introduction is really happening, that this is just kind of a beginning, a thought, um, maybe begins your study and helps you dig deeper into the scriptures and hopefully brings them to life a little bit more as you study on your own. I've been kind of thinking this week about our role, not just as, as podcasters, but all of our role as teachers of the gospel. Um and an art analogy came to mind that our job is to help frame a study in such a way that when the paint goes up on the canvas, when the students actually paint the painting, uh, it looks beautiful and finished. And so I think that may be a good analogy for our podcast. Our job is, our, our hope is that after listening for 30 minutes, that your study has been framed in an exciting, um, a relevant, a personal way so that when you dive into the scriptures, it means something to you. The highlight of your scripture study should be your scripture study. We hope to just be kind of the spark to that. So, Yeah, in fact, one of the message this week in the Come Follow Me manual as kind of a study tip was turn to the scriptures first in your study. And I think this is something really important. We can a lot of times look for those external sources before we go to God's word. And I think I went off on a rant on this actually a few episodes ago, so I won't do that again. But um, just that remember, remembering that the power comes from your own scripture study. And like Zach said, we hope that we're adding a little bit of framework to um, your study, which I know helps me a lot, but um, that we're giving you a tool to dig deeper into God's word. So we wanted to ask, um, well, we want, to, we want to propose something, and it would take some participation from listeners. Um, we have been over the past, of, over the course of the past couple of episodes, focusing on, at the beginning of our episodes, some key doctrines. We've got another one for this episode that we'll look at, um, but we want to try something new. We get quite a few questions, either uh, comments on Instagram or direct message to us, um, and we try and do our best in answering those questions directly back to the people that ask them, but some of them are so good and, and so universal that we think, oh, this really would be a good thing to bring up in an episode. Mm -hmm. Plus, scripture study always works best when it's guided by relevant personal questions. 
And so what we'd like to do is if you would be willing, um, if you have questions, questions about the scriptures, questions about doctrines, questions about the church, questions about us as hosts, questions about your own personal life, anything that you'd be willing to share, if you'll send it to us, again, you can direct message us, you can put it on Instagram, you can email, email us um, at, we think we're just scripturestudyproject at gmail.com. Yes, and it's really easy to email us from our profile on Instagram too. You can just hit the little email button too. So if you'll send us your questions, if we know the answer, then we'll we'll try and answer it right in our episode. If we don't know the answer, we'll craft a study around it using the scriptures. And so it might be a couple of weeks until we get to it. Um, but we would love to hear questions and answer questions. So if you're willing to help us out, please. And one of the other things that we're hoping to develop, I know we've done a couple bonus episodes this year. We wanted to do a few more of those, but you know, life, (laughs) we're doing our best getting one out a week. But, um, if we could maybe turn in maybe one of those questions into a bonus episode with a guest or something would even be great. So anyway, you could be helping us to kind of develop those bonus episodes and maybe those beginning segments that we have been doing. So we would love to hear from you. Please. All right. Uh, Brief doctrine for this episode is uh, the doctrine of ordinances and covenants. That's again, one of those wonderful doctrinal duos. We probably shouldn't talk about ordinances without talking about covenants. And we probably shouldn't talk about covenants without talking about the ordinances. Um, An ordinance is a sacred act that often accompanies a covenant. The word for covenant um, in the Hebrew is a word that simply means to bind two things together. Uh, One of my favorite places to teach this is at uh, baptisms. And what I'll do is I'll often invite the baptismal candidate to come up. So like with my son, when he was baptized, invite him to come up. And I take a rope and I tie his hand to my hand. And I tell him, this is a covenant. This is what the word covenant means, to tie two things or two people together. Now, at baptism, you are making a covenant with Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that covenant is that wherever you go now, because of the covenant and because of this ordinance that accompanies it, he will go with you. And the maybe even more beautiful truth is that wherever he goes, if you stay true to that covenant, you will go which means with his eventual judgment um, and placement in the celestial kingdom, if you are covenanted or tied to him, that you will go there too. And then, of course, you have covenanted yourself uh, through marriage, um, through family relationships, through temple ceilings to family members who are then likewise tied to you and tied to him. The goal being this great covenanting or tying of the family of God to him, to the Savior, so that we can all be together again. It's just a beautiful, simple doctrine, and it is relevant for the sections that we're studying because uh, there's going to start being some discussions in the scriptures about ordinances and covenants. Who deserves them? And you're going to see Paul and Peter start to argue with some of the the Jewish converts in the church who think that in order for converts, Gentile converts to be accepted into the church, they have to first go through the law of Moses and all of its laws and rituals before they can uh, receive the ordinance of baptism and make that new covenant. Uh, And Paul and Peter in, in multiple places will argue that no, Jesus Christ can create this new covenant 
with individuals uh, without a need to go through the law of Moses. So that's what put it on my mind. And I thought just a basic understanding of this is always helpful and maybe a good reminder for us. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Zach look, looks at me and when we're recording, want to say anything? Uh, not right now. That's all right. Usually I have plenty to say, but... That was a good one. Thank you. Okay, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament comes from this study, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber when they were gathered together, and there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. I love that scripture. I love that someone can fall asleep. Paul, of course, will go and resurrect him, but I remember reading Not that. only fall asleep. But fall asleep <laughs> from the third balcony. It makes me feel not so bad when I sometimes struggle to when sing. When you do the head nod. When I do the head nod, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not how we're starting. This is how we're starting. In Acts chapter 17, um, Paul preaches one of my favorite sermons. Um, he's now taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and he approaches the Gentiles. A couple episodes ago, God calls him this chosen vessel. And you really see that because Paul has this incredible ability to to craft an intellectual discussion about the gospel, which is exactly what those that are used to Greek philosophy are hungering for. They like something that stimulates their mind. So Paul goes to Athens. And in Athens, there are statues and idols everywhere to the Greek pantheon of gods. Then he comes across this really interesting uh, idol in verse 23, the statue. He says, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the instruction, or with this inscription, to the unknown God. Um, scholars believe uh, pretty surely that, that the idea of this statue is that the Greeks are saying, we built a statue to every other god in the Greek pantheon, but there might be some that we've forgotten. And so we're going to build this statue right here. This is for all of the gods that we maybe could have forgotten. Anyone else that we're not thinking about, we built the statue for them. And that way, when we worship at this statue, we've covered all of our bases and we're not going to make any Greek god angry at us and bring down fire on our house. Paul uses that statue to craft this incredible sermon uh, and he says this at the end of that verse 23, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, meaning that unknown God, declare I unto you. What we want to do in this episode is answer two questions. First of all, what do we, quote, know about this God that Paul is preaching? Uh, as you're studying your scriptures this week, what do you read and what do you know about him? And the second question is, how do we get to that knowledge and or how do we help others get to that knowledge? These scriptures or these chapters have a great missionary theme. What lessons do we learn about helping others come to know God in the way that Paul's talking about? Well, quick first on that idea of an unknown God. Um, this week I've been listening to um, actually the most recent BYU speech by Amy Tanner called The Gift of Uncertainty. And just some thoughts from that on kind of the vastness of, of who God is and what our knowledge is in relation to that. So I'm going to read a couple quotes from her. She says, 
Perhaps strangely in a church where from a very young age we learn to say the words, I know, the thing I am most certain of in this life is that we do not know all things. In fact, in the grand scale of truth, it is quite possible that statistically speaking, we don't know anything. And by that, I mean that because God and truth are so vast and so big, the things we know are so small in comparison as to render them essentially nothing. And then she goes on to say, accepting that we may not know what we think we know, does not mean we need to let go of all certainty or conviction. Rather, openness to being wrong can be a humble position of faith where hope for things which are not seen can flourish as we allow ourselves to accept that there are things which are not seen to us. I think as we talk about these questions, what we do know about him and how do we help others, I think it's really healthy for us to acknowledge that uncertainty. And even that there's, and as we help teach other people, our children, that there's some beauty, and she calls it a gift in that, and I believe that to be true, that there's a lot to wrestle with in understanding and coming to know who God is. That's where those real missionary experiences are built. In fact, we're kind of in missionary mode, which is maybe why I've, I've loved these chapters so much, but we're getting ready for Zach's brother to come home in a few weeks, and we just had the chance to um, be at a homecoming for Zach's cousin, who we just think is awesome. And he told a story um, that I just thought summed this up perfectly was that when he left on a mission, what he didn't realize is that he had been grateful for and relying on his parents' knowledge of who God was and who this God was to them. But that as he went away, he was able to um, really come to know and experience who this God is. And I thought, you know, that's, that's the work, that's the refining work of missionary. Um, of course, it's to look for and search out the people who are interested in the message of coming to know God, but it also happens in the hearts of these missionaries. And we see this in these chapters as we see these missionaries going all about finding people, using the spirit to be guided and to heal people and to perform miracles. And I loved the scripture in chapter 19, verse 11. It just says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. These are missionaries that knew God. They had come to know this God. And I believe the same is true for us, that we can find him just as um, Jared gave that example of finding a God that I think there's a balance between that, well, not a balance, but that uncertainty can be that refining process that yeah. we search out for who he is. There's so much good in this. Um, it, I, the, the scripture that comes to mind is the one that's really well known where Jesus says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Um, it just makes me wonder if my if our traditional understanding of that could be adjusted. I wonder if another way to understand that verse is that it might take an eternal life for us to completely know God, to know him as mm -hmm. personal as we want to be. So when someone stands up in church on Sunday and says, I know that God lives, and you think, I don't know that, that's okay. Yes. Because that uncertainty can be the catalyst for this great faith, this hope in things which are not seen, but which are true, and can propel you down the path of searching and finding, and then talking and teaching others, which confirms that uncertainty to you, right? Yeah. I know that's been my experiences. I mean, I had a very similar experience on my mission where I was 
I didn't know a God. I thought, I, I really don't honestly know who God is or if he knows me. And it led me down a path of finding out that actually I do know who he is. And it has been the catalyst to something very powerful for me in my life. With that settled, that it is okay to be uncertain. Some of the things that we do know about God come from these teachings. And I, I love the address from Paul in chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders. He says in part of that in verse 21, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And then down on into verse 24, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. One of the ways that we come to know God is as we experience this grace and the repentance process and that that feeling of just love and relief that we can get as we um, work our way to come to know who God is. Um, I love the story of Apollos, and that is in um, chapter 18. A man named Apollos, he was an eloquent man who was competent in the use of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. And that stuck out to me as I was studying these ideas of mercy, you know, that Paul's teaching that we just talked about. And I remembered what John the Baptist was teaching all along was crying out repentance in the wilderness. And so this, what he knew was only about John the Baptist, yet it was enough to propel him because he knew that it was the same repentance, the, the same repentance, the same mercy. And I just love that that is the God that we can know, a God who forgives, a God who is full of grace and mercy towards all of us. Uh, the one that stood out to me is I've been, I've been caught up on this idea. I've mentioned in previous episodes that Jesus Christ, this Lord and God whom we worship, is more than just a savior. Um, the hymn, I know that my redeemer lives, has this wonderful phrase in it where Jesus Christ is labeled my prophet, priest, and king. In the scriptures, scriptural authors try and cast Jesus as those roles to illustrate that he is the fulfillment of every appointed or anointed calling that God has ever given. He is like the prophets in the Old Testament, just like Moses and just like Elijah. He is like the priests, uh, the high priests that were in the Holy of Holies that helped uh, us commune with God. And he is, of course, like the anointed kings, the true rulers and governors of God's people. Well, in Acts 17, back in that uh, sermon on Mars Hill, the beginning of the chapter is interesting. Uh, the people are upset and they find Jason, who is a Christian. Uh, they bring him out in front of the people and they accuse him of this. This is verse 6 and 17. When they found Paul not, they drew Jason a certain and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. They're accusing Paul and those that are converted by him of turning the world upside down. And this is the doctrine that is turning the world upside down. Verse 7, Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king one Jesus. 
the doctrine that's turning the whole world upside down is that there is another king, a greater king, and his name is Jesus. If you think about it, this is the role that Jesus fills uh, that gets him in the most trouble. I think if Jesus was just a redeemer and a savior, if he was just a reclaimer of lost souls, or if he was just a teacher, a guide, an example, I don't think he would have been criticized nearly as much, if at all. And I think the, the, the predominant religionists of the day would have been fine with him. It's his claim as the, the son of God and the king of Israel that gets him in trouble. That's where he earns uh, the claims of or the accusations of sedition and blasphemy. It's in his role as king. Um, Paul, in verses 23 and 24, uh, says, and we've quoted verse 23, that unknown God, him declare I unto you. Um, and then he goes on to talk about this God who's the creator and the king of all creation. Um, for me, I've thought a lot about this over the past couple of weeks, and I've shared some of those thoughts on previous episodes, but I have really come to love Jesus as my king. I know that he is capable and powerful and has the omniscience to be able to see into my life, both past, present, and future, and to govern it, to tell me to do certain things or not to do certain things, to put ideas and feelings in my heart that even though they may be contrary to what I feel inclined to do, because of his knowledge and his authority as my king, I can trust him and follow that direction. Uh, I found a lot of, uh, pride's the wrong word, but, but uh, satisfaction in the last couple of weeks of feeling like I am subject to Jesus the King. I'm a loyal subject to Jesus the King. I claim him as my ruler. I sustain him as my king. I am his servant. I'm his man. I am I'm I'm his. And that feels really good to me. I like how a lot of those things can go together. It's this journey, this uncertainty journey mm -hmm. to understanding this mercy that God provides for us, but it's in that journey that we come to see God as something more um, in whatever role he is filling for us, mm -hmm. which is so many, so many ways that we can search and find him. And certainly we're seeing that these missionaries are motivated by this king, this merciful God, this prophet that they love in Jesus Christ. In fact, um, I'm probably going to gush in our show notes this week because I have come across so many golden articles and talks that go to this one is by President Nelson. Uh, it was in 2000s, so was Elder Nelson then. But where he does this exact thing, you know that he has a penchant. He loves to study the Book of Mormon looking for the Savior and illustrations of and, and delineations of the Savior. And so this talk is, I think it's 10 uh, roles that the Savior can fill, that he fills for the world, but that he can also fill for us. And it's just fascinating. So we'll put that in the show notes, plus a couple of other talks and uh, way more than you may want to read, but hopefully it helps. Okay, the second question, and uh, we'll need to be kind of brief on this one since we're running out of time. Is, well, we kind of, la we kind yeah, of answered a few of them yeah. throughout. Um, is how do you help others come to know God? Given that 
we're not seeking for full-on 100% I know everything about God, that uncertainty is okay. Um, how do you help someone become comfortable or convinced of these attributes about God? Um, one thought, you mentioned journey in your last comment, the journey from uncertainty to certainty. Paul takes a physical journey uh, in these chapters that I love. Um, in Acts 16, uh, starting about in verse 6, Paul receives this vision. He sees in vision a man in Macedonia saying, essentially, come and preach the gospel to us. Come and help us. So Paul sets out. Uh, Macedonia is, uh, these are these are Gentile nations, Gentile cities, and so he starts this mission. And um, What's interesting to me is um, Paul's traditional format for missionary service is he goes to the city and goes to the Jewish synagogue and will preach to the Jews. And then once he's preached to them, then he'll go out into the city square and he'll, he'll preach to the Gentiles. Well, on his way to Macedonia, before he ever gets to that official beginning of his mission, uh, this happens. Uh, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we, the we here is probably Luke, just FYI. Luke was a convert of Paul's and a missionary companion of Paul's, which is why he writes so much about Paul. Uh, sorry, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Later on in the chapter, that house is used again uh, to host missionaries and elders for the church. Um, after that, uh, Paul gets followed around by this kind of babbling crazy lady. And uh, because of the disturbance it's caused, he gets thrown into jail. Uh, and he, as has happened before, um, there, he escapes from jail. The jailer who's in charge of him almost takes his own life because he's afraid of being in trouble for letting Paul go. Paul calls out, don't. And then he converts the jailer. And then it's after that that he goes into the synagogue and he preaches and he starts, quote unquote, his official missionary trip. What I love about this is uh, Paul receives a mission of a man in Macedonia and he doesn't get the, the opportunity to preach in a formal way until later on. But this journey that he's on opens up so many incredible opportunities for him to share the gospel. Um, this scripture comes to mind and I'll have to find it. In the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord chastises his missionaries, they're, they're going down the Erie Canal and he chastises them for being too quick on their journey and trying to get just from point A to point B and forgetting that there are people on either side of the river that are perishing in unbelief. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And I love that principle of missionary work, that God may tell me to share the message, share the gospel with person X, Y, or Z, but it's on my way to that person that some of the greatest miracles might happen. And I might then share the gospel with that person, and they might turn me down, and I might be frustrated, forgetting the fact that it was the message along the way that made all the difference. I think that journey can also be used as our own spiritual journey, that we don't have to be these spiritual giants or feeling like the spiritual giants in these um, seasons of our life, but that that journey can happen 
in any form. Maybe it's not a physical journey, but maybe even where you are on a spiritual path, whether it's a conversation that you have or a small exchange you have with someone, but that you're willing to um, open up about your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So uh, be aware of the journey and, uh, and rejoice in it. Well, to end, uh, this is from the Book of Mormon. Um, Mosiah chapter 11, uh, this is the beginning of the story of Abinadi. He chastises the people, calls them to repentance over and over and over again. And then King Noah says this line in verse 27. Who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged by him? Or who is the Lord that should bring upon my people such great affliction? A couple of chapters later, they're going to try and arrest Abinadi. And he shocks them and tells them, don't touch me. I haven't delivered my message. And then he says, this is in chapter 13, I think, um, I have not answered the question that you asked me to answer. And then he, for the next three or four chapters, sermonizes on who this God is. Uh, he quotes Isaiah. He talks about uh, this God being the one who he himself comes down and saves us. And it's just an incredible study. Um, it it cements the role of prophets and apostles to help us understand who God is. As you study this week, the words of Paul, in conjunction with everything else that happens in your life, um, our hope for you is that you come to know just a little bit better who God is for you and who God is in your life, and maybe who you can help uh, along that journey. Thank you guys for studying with us today. And again, just like we talked about in the beginning, we would love any questions or comments for um, the be beginning of our podcast episodes in the upcoming months and would love to hear from you. Thanks. We hope you have a great week.